Welcome to Sustainable Futures, the sustainability podcast from Kantar, the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. In each episode, we speak with senior experts from a wide range of disciplines to bring broad understanding to complex topic areas and shine a light on the most pressing sustainability issues facing business and marketing, all designed to help marketers create sustainable futures for brands and business. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Kantar's Sustainable Transformation webinar. My name is Jonathan Hall, and I'm the managing partner of Kantar's Sustainable Transformation Practice. Now, Kantar is a world-leading data, analytics, and consulting business, and the Sustainable Transformation Practice works at the intersection of brands, people, and sustainability. Now, the topic for today's webinar is understanding early-stage tech investment, and I'm delighted to have two experts in this space, Archie Mason from True Global and Tarek Musa from PwC. And I'm going to let them uh, introduce themselves, starting with Archie. Great. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, yeah, hi, Archie Mason. I'm a director in the innovation team at True. Um, True is a consumer-focused investment and innovation firm led by an underlying purpose all around reimagining business um, as a force for positive change. And it just a sort of brief, brief overview about what True, uh, about sort of True and what we're all about. On the investment side, we've got two funds um, investing in innovators and those who are reimagining their industry. So on the, we have a private equity fund, 275 million um, sterling fund that's investing up to 100 million into fit for the future consumer brands um, and really the businesses that operate at the intersection of consumer behavior change and emerging technology. And then we have a growth fund which invests anywhere from 100K up to 5 million sort of pre-seed seed series A rounds into digital first breakout brands, but also retail and consumer technologies as well that represent the future of the consumer sector, you know, and so it's a really early stage stuff. On the innovation side, which is predominantly where I spend most of my time, we support um, leading consumer corporates around the world with their innovation agenda. That means very different things to different, different uh, organizations, but I typically look at it through two lenses. One's helping to, uh, you know, short-term lens of helping to navigate what has become a pretty complex early stage technology landscape to identify things and technologies and solutions that can be implemented in the short term to help improve the business across loads of different areas. And then the other is a longer term lens, thinking more strategically around some of the disruptive threats and opportunities that are coming down the line, again, at that intersection of consumer behavior change and emerging technology, helping to understand those and do something about them. And, and typically what we mean by that is is through partnering with or investing in or even acquiring some of the early stage brands and technologies that we see naturally through our investment activities. So a little overview of True. In terms of ESG, it's a really critical part for, of everything we do, both within True and through every interaction we have with our portfolio and our corporate partners as well. We, we became a certified B Corp in, in, in 2020. Um, that provides a, a pretty good framework to uh, ensure that we meet rigorous social and, and environmental standards internally. Uh, but it's also become a really important pillar and a sort of focus area for our corporate partners and everything we're doing with them, all of whom, without exception, are looking to innovate in, you know, in this, this whole area of it. Great. Uh, thanks, Archie. Tarek. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so I'm Tarek. I'm a senior manager at PwC, a big professional services firm where I sit in our sustainability advisory practice. We have existed for a couple of decades now, touching on every aspect of sustainability and ESG you can think of. But I tend to focus my time on our innovation sustainability practice where I drive that proposition. Um, that means I spend a lot of time, practically speaking, working with corporates, policymakers and investors to think through their approach to net zero and wider ESG risks and opportunities, and in particular, how they can make the best use of climate tech. Brilliant. Well, I can't think of a better pair of people to talk about this topic today. Thank you for being here. So 
Archie, turning to you first, it would be great if you could just help um, our viewers understand the role of early stage tech investment in um, achieving corporate strategy and, and ESG strategy specifically, the, the goals around that. Yeah, of course. Look, I think from, from my perspective, I and mean, certainly every corporate that we, we are speaking to at the moment has gone through some sort of process to um, redefine or update their ESG strategy um, or something along those lines in the last 12 months or so. It's clearly moving up the boardroom agenda, has done um, pretty rapidly. I think that's driven by three things primarily. A lot of people talk about consumer behavior change. I'd actually put that third in the list. Clearly, it is important, but consumers are very good at talking, at talking a strong game about um, behavior change and about wanting to buy products that are more environmentally friendly. When push comes to shove, other factors still are um, are more important fundamentally and the bigger drivers of the purchasing decision or at that point of purchase. Obviously, price being probably the most important one right now, given the cost of living crisis, but also quality, convenience, etc. And you know, I, sustainability will continue to rise up the consumer agenda, I'm sure, but I, we don't see it yet being as big a factor as, uh, unfortunately, perhaps as, as some of those other things. I think employees as consumers is another thing just to bear in mind when we talk about consumer behavior. I mean, employers are beginning to react now and do things on the ESG agenda driven by their employees. And I, we shouldn't underestimate um, the, the power of that. The other two drivers, I think, though, right now are probably more significant. One is regulatory change, both in terms of um, a rapidly evolving um, sort of disclosure requirements for particularly public companies, but private companies as well when it comes to reporting to their investors. That's evolving the whole time. It's still not really clear on what that's going to look like in 12 months, two, three years time. Um, what is clear is it's going to look very different to, to what it does now. And I think companies are quite quickly beginning to realize that. And there's a it's a sort of big priority to um, get better at ESG monitoring, reporting, and just fundamentally understanding your business from an ESG perspective and sustainability perspective. And then the other one's cost of capital. Um, so, well, you know, that's both debt and equity. Um, I think on the, you know, the debt side, just we're seeing a lot of corporates now think about credit facilities that are linked in some way to ESG metrics. A good example of that, John Lewis, last year, the partnership accessed a new 420 million credit facility that the interest rate of which is specifically tied um, to three sustainability metrics. One is carbon emissions, making getting those to net zero by 2035. The second one is 50% reduction in food waste across Waitrose by 2030. And the third one is the end of fossil fuels across their transport fleet again by 2030. And, and you know, again, like this, there's a cost associated with this. So that puts it right up, you know, increases up on the board of agenda. And, and I think um, as a result, it's being prioritized more. Um, in some cases, I think this has gone, you know, and in many cases now, it's gone a lot further um, and sort of through to sort of very public net zero commitments. Um, that's, again, those are evolving all the time, probably on the back of, uh, and a lot of that's driven on the back of COP26 last year, of course. What we're seeing now, though, is the majority of these companies and these corporates have set these things out. They've talked very publicly about it. They got very excited about it. But, but in all honesty, a lot of them lack a really clear and rigorous plan on how to implement these strategies or hit these net zero commitments. And I think that's the role that early stage technology, like, don't get me wrong, technology cannot and won't solve everything. And everyone recognizes that. But increasingly, these corporates are, are recognizing that there is a role for technology to play. And I think a lot of that technology isn't yet developed and hence the early stage bit. I think we, you know, I'll come on to it perhaps in a minute. But but there's, there's going to be a really big role for technology to play, I think, in, in accelerating these, these ESG strategies and helping these corporates get, you know, hit their net zero targets over the next 10, 15, 20 years. That's super helpful. Thanks, Archie. And we'll be, we'll be coming back to some of the things you've been talking about there, but that's a great setup. Tarek, uh, you've recently published um, 
a publication called The State of Climate Tech, which is, as I, I understand it, a global multi-sector piece. Could you give us a sense of what the headlines coming out of that were? Sure. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, I guess the context for that is we know from other analysis we do in the Net Zero Economy Index that society needs to massively increase the pace at which we're decarbonizing in order to meet the Paris Agreement goals and avoid the worst impacts of climate change. I think the stat is uh, we need to move five times faster than we've moved over the previous decade. And we know technology alone is not going to be the answer to that. We need massive structural changes. We need policy changes as well. It's going to be the critical enabler. Without technology, we don't have a chance to meet net zero. And so we've been speaking to lots of clients, lots of corporates, lots of investors who are exploring technology solutions to help them on that path. And we decided to take this bottom-up view of a market and look at what startups were working on the innovations that were going to get the world to net zero. We've developed a data bank of 4,000 startups, which I'm sure is just a small fraction of a market because it's a really vibrant and growing ecosystem. It's really the headline message I want people to take away. Um, if you compare it to the clean tech era of the past, there are a couple of changes. And clean tech became a bit of a naughty word because um, a lot of people lost a lot of money in clean tech because the enabling environment wasn't quite right. But some key changes we're seeing from that period to where we are now is firstly, technology is better, cheaper, faster, more efficient. And it means that climate tech solutions are able to work a hell of a lot better than clean tech solutions did in the past. Um, finance is more freely available. There's more and more investors willing to deploy capital towards climate tech solutions. Archie's highlighted a couple of examples already. The big change for me has been policy. We now have a global agreement on net zero for the Paris Agreement. Countless countries around the world have got national level commitments to net zero as well. And linked to that, we've also got the demand side from corporates who have sent these demand signals through their science-based targets to commit to net zero. And through that, they'll need to buy solutions which help them reach net zero. I mean, lastly, we've got the people and the people working at these startups on net zero. What we've heard from clients is actually they're finding it hard to recruit people if they've not got a clear ESG agenda linked to their purpose. And for a climate tech startup now, it's easier than ever to recruit really talented, talented founders and people. Brilliant. Thanks, Tarek. So really great setup here in terms of the, the ESG agenda and how that sits within corporate strategy goals. Um, and the multi-stakeholder perspective that you're that you're talking about, the role of early stage tech investment in in filling a gap, I suppose, um, is what I'm hearing from both of you there. So if we just take a step back for a second and think about some of the, the key investment trends that you guys have been seeing over the last few years, and then just a sense for us of you know what's lying behind those patterns. Tarek, it'd be great to hear from you first. I don't think there's anything from the, the State of Climate Tech report or more broadly that you could that you could help us with. Sure. And you've already alluded to this, Jonathan, that State of Climate Tech focuses across sectors because that is one of the key defining features for climate tech. It's not just about how we decarbonize energy, but there are solutions you wouldn't imagine of touching on every sector of the economy. Across the startups we've tracked, we've identified over $220 billion of venture capital and private equity investment going into them over the past eight years, which represents, I think, a 210% growth year on year, which is massive. But one of the headline stats from last year's report was investment is still not aligned to impact. Of the 15 specific technology solutions we analyzed as part of that report, the top five representing 80% of emissions reduction potential got just 25% of funding. So 80% of impact, 25% of funding. And as to why that is, well, 
some of this is because investors, corporates are just not aware of these solutions. And through the report, we do aim to shine a light on what we call these carbon five pound notes being left on the table that people are not aware of. But a lot of it also has to do with the enabling environment. Society is not yet effectively valuing low carbon solutions without something like a carbon tax, for example, solutions like carbon capture don't quite work on a unit economics basis. And lastly, and I think this is a place that big corporates and policymakers have a role to play, is funding for scale. A lot of the startups we speak to are missing this funding to go from a single demonstration project towards large-scale deployment. Thanks, Tarek. Archie? Yeah, no, I think I'm mean, seeing a lot of the same, same themes, certainly. Um, overall, I'd say that, I, I guess, ESG-related tech, and then particularly anything to help tackle the environmental challenges that, that we're all facing into, is certainly one of the hottest venture themes, early stage private investment themes at the moment, if not the hottest one, to be honest. Um, there are loads of stats out there to prove the point. Just a couple, just to highlight it. In 2021, about 9 billion, 9 billion euros invested into European sustainability startups. That was up from 4.5 billion, so almost double the level in 2020. Just in the UK, clean tech was the fastest growing subsector of technology investments in private sector, sector companies in the first half of 2022. Now, clearly, the venture world has slowed down a little bit overall in the last six, nine months or so. Um, and this sector hasn't been immune to that, but it has carried on performing relatively relatively well in light of a uh, you know, global slowdown in, in venture funding over the last, as I said, nine months. Um, specifically for this sector, I think, and just to pick up on your final point there, I would say we're still very early on on the journey towards more powerful solutions that can and no doubt will have a really significant impact. At the moment, what we've seen is a lot of investment firms, frankly, being created, a lot of funds being raised that are, have got investment thesis, theses focused very much on this topic. Um, and that activity has increased significantly in the last couple of years. So you've got, there's a, there's a lot of capital out there that's ready, ready to be deployed. And it's being deployed at the moment, typically into or through pre-seed, seed rounds, seed rounds, maybe even series A, into relatively early stage technology, nascent technology that, you know, is still, it's yet to be really proven in many cases. It's certainly not at the sort of proper commercialization or even scale up phase. And that's going to be the next wave. But, you know, Tarek, as you pointed out, there's a lot of businesses out there, a lot of technologies out there that have maybe got an interesting concept, they've proven it out to some degree, and they now need the funding to get to that next scale-up phase. I think that will be the next wave. I mean, no doubt it's going to happen. I think it's just a function that, you know, we've seen this with other themes and other sectors in the past. It's just a f- function of where this technology is from in the investment cycle and in the adoption cycle from, from large corporates. Um, but, you know, I think that's, that's going to evolve at pace in, in the years ahead for sure. Clearly, when we talk about sustainability, climate tech, ESG, I mean, people talk about it as a trend. I don't think it is. I think this is something that's going to be here to stay, certainly throughout the course of our lifetime, um, sadly, because I don't think we're going to solve it um, anytime soon. And, and, you know, clearly that's why startups, climate-related startups, sustainability startups are receiving more funding this year than last year, and more and more investors are realising that these are the businesses that could be, you know, some of the most valuable companies in in the the years and and decades ahead. Um, And also, these are the startups that are continuing to develop technologies, which I think really will be central to the fight against climate change. I mean, fundamentally, as I said at the beginning, technology can't solve everything, but I'm utterly convinced that there's a really big role for technology to play, and a lot of that technology doesn't exist in any meaningful form today. In terms of um, some specific themes, like I could talk for hours about, you know, across those 4,000 startups, God knows, Tarek, how many, how many themes that you, you know you could cover there. But 
and, and you know, a lot of these are still really, really early stage, but just, you know, a few that sort of came to mind when I was thinking about this that we're, that we're seeing at the moment, carbon accounting, carbon offsetting, carbon removal, those three, are, you know, there's a lot of activity against all three of those. I'd say particularly carbon accounting or ESG monitoring and reporting. That's my, the point I made earlier. There's heavy disclosure requirements coming down the line. And the first step of that is could the corporates need to face into is understanding their carbon footprint today, understanding really in a lot of detail um, where their emissions are. That's a data-led problem, but it's a complex and messy data-led problem. And as a result, there's technology being developed to, to help solve that. Um, and I, I've lost count of how many startups I've seen that, that are trying to solve that for, for corporates at the moment. Um, it, you know, other areas, um, there's a couple of interesting ones in the, in the, in the fashion world, so alternative fibres and dyes for the fashion industry, that's getting a lot of investment at the moment. A lot of big corporates are looking at that quite carefully. Um, at the same time as rental, resale and recycling platforms, again, for the fashion industry, They've been, you know, pretty popular over the last probably three or four years now. Um, all many of them out there, all with slightly different models: some B two B, some B two C, B two B two C, etc. So, uh, an interesting space. Alternative packaging um, is another one that's vast. It's very complex. Obviously, it varies enormously from industry to industry, but it's one that's that's, that's generating a lot of interest and investment at the moment. Uh, plastic recycling, building materials, anything around decarbonizing transports, both for people and products, crucially. I think people, a lot of people focus on the future of mobility and, and the people side of that, but there's a huge product side of it as well that needs to be solved and, and will be that's particularly relevant for the retail and consumer sector. Um, sustainable battery production, zero carbon fuels, you know, the, the list goes on. I think there's, there's there's a lot out there and really it does touch, that's because it does touch almost every sector um, in, in, in some some shape or form. The, the one other thing though, um, we talk about ESG, we focus a lot on sustainability and that's not surprising. I say that's 80, 90% of the focus and the investment within ESG is startups is going into the environmental side of it for good reason. But I, I, you know, I, I do also, I would also want to call out the sort of social side of it. I think this is another area that's moving up the priority list for a lot of corporates, particularly actually post-COVID, a lot of um, corporates who are big employers and, and uh, um, are looking to sort of looking at the role that technology can play to improve the employee experience. And we're seeing as a result, again, capital flows into some interesting startups that are operating in that space and innovating in that space. And again, no particular order, but mentoring platforms, mental health, financial resilience, particularly right now in the cost of living crisis, skills development. The list goes on again. I think, you know, employees are really beginning to rethink what benefits means it's the gone of the days of here's a pension and some health insurance it's like there's so such a broad array of different benefits that employees can offer their employee employers can offer their employees now um, and um, yeah that's not an area that's sort of within ESG I think is, is quite a, an interesting one to watch. Thank you both and there's, there's a multitude of um, issues and opportunities aren't there that sit underneath the, the sustainability ESG banner both social and environmental as you point out and interesting Tarek that you're saying you know that actually investment really isn't going behind the areas that uh, it needs to at the moment in terms of impact. And a huge list, Archie, of, of the various uh, areas. It's, it's uh, fascinating to hear that. So uh, what, what I'd like to do just now is, um, just for those viewers who perhaps don't have as great a familiarity with your world, Archie, as, 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 um, as some, It'd be great just for you to talk to us a bit about you know early stage investment and what you look for in in early stage investment to give a flavour for people of uh, you know what that looks like and perhaps some of the examples of the most interesting startups that you've seen recently. Yeah, of course. 
Um, so I mentioned earlier that we've got two funds. I'll focus this very much on our, on our, on our early stage growth fund, which, as I said, invests at sort of seed, pre-seed, seed, series A rounds. So, so at the early stage of venture capital. Um, that's a 40 million fund today that's looking to back um, both consumer brands and also technologies that are building for the future of the retail and consumer sector. So, so we have this sector specialism specifically at True. Um, our key focus areas within that are um, tech-enabled commerce, consumer health and wellness, um, sustainable products and materials, and then the circular economy. Now, that's not to say we wouldn't invest in areas outside of that, but it's always important to have try and have a bit of focus um, and, and a really clear investment thesis. And that's yeah, something we do keep update, updating um, the whole time. Um, as I said, we invest sort of pre-seed Series A. Our sweet spot is, a, is a sort of writing checks of anywhere between one and two million. Um, about half the fund is reserved for follow-on investments as well. So it's a fairly standard model. We'll, we'll write an initial check that could be smaller than that initial sum I've just talked about. But then um, for the investments that we really like that are doing really well, then we'll always reserve a portion of the fund to follow on um, into to subsequent rounds into, into those businesses. Um, in our case, we're based in the UK, but we can we can invest and we do invest anywhere in the world. Particular focus to date has been UK and US, but um, there's no sort of particular remit that sort of stipulates we can't invest in, in other countries as well. In, I mean, I guess like just some examples from from our portfolio that are sort of focus on this space. So there's a uh, this is called Heckles, which is a UK-based sustainable D2C skincare and fragrance brand. Um, pretty all of these are quite early stage um, brands. Shell Works which is a plastic alternative for packaging that can degrade in any natural environment, um, all made from waste products that would otherwise go to landfill or, uh, or be burnt. Um, and actually those two have just collaborated really nicely. So Shell works now producing some of the packaging for Heckles, which is really, you know, it's a lovely collaboration within our portfolio, but actually just a good example of um, businesses that are like-minded, purpose-led businesses coming together to, to try, and, try and solve some of these issues. And then um, Reskin, which is a platform enabling the resale, repurpose and recycling of clothes. Again, I mentioned there's a lot of businesses out there in that space, and that's one that in particular we've invested in. On the social side of it, just back, you know, the, the point I made earlier, just a couple of call out on that side of it. So Unmind, which is a mental health platform for, for employees. Um, and then Fatifa, which is fertility benefits, treatment and support, again, for employees. So these are two employee benefit tools, effectively, um, focused on clearly two very pressing big issues at the, um, at the moment, um, mental health in particular coming out of COVID um, and, and the pandemic. Um, so that's sort of some examples of some of the businesses within our portfolio that I think are particularly interesting. I mean, like, beyond that, there are there are loads and loads of companies I come across. You know, unfortunate our day job is is to to understand this landscape and meet some amazing entrepreneurs and startups who are operating in this space. A couple that you know I perhaps just could sort of call out that I thought of. Um, Silvera in the carbon offsetting space, um, developing a, a reliable data set um, to really determine the quality of carbon offsets and ultimately help to build trust in the market in what is an unregulated market and therefore um, has got some challenges within at the moment. Um, Einride, based in Sweden, which is the world's first company to operate an autonomous all-electric freight vehicle on a, on a commercial route on a public road, so autonomy. Um, and, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we talk about future of mobility, we've got to think about uh, the carbon footprint of sh shifting products around the world. Um, I, I could go on. I'll let Tarek come in as well, because otherwise we'll be, we'll be here all day. But yeah, there's some absolutely fascinating businesses out there. Tarek, I don't know if there are any um, additions that you'd like to to bring in from your perspective. Yeah, I think for me, just re-emphasizing that last point from Archie, but I think there are solutions touching on every bit of the economy, every bit of a value chain here. I could 
talk for another five hours about the number of startups we've seen and the really interesting, exciting solutions, satellites to monitor methane leaks in the Arctic, so you can use heat pumps to plug them straight away, but we'd be here all day. And it's interesting, isn't it? The, you know, I guess many people would come to this area thinking about the, the consumer opportunity, but what I'm hearing there as well is thinking about people as employees as well. Um, and the huge role, the huge role, and the huge opportunity that that has for for corporates. Um, so, um, where would you say then the startup market is headed over the next few years? And and just give a sense of of why that is. And Tarek, can can I start with you? Sure. Um, so hopefully, one thing that's been clear through this conversation is there's an increased focus on sustainability and ESG, in particular climate impact, but not just limited to climate impact. We're already seeing up here to see lots of questions from clients on topics like how to credibly measure scope for or avoided emissions arising from their investments into climate tech startups. Some of that is partly being driven by regulations, things like the SFDR, the Sustainable Finance Disclosures Regulation, the EU taxonomy and the like, which is funneling money towards sustainable solutions. But some of it is being driven by demand. More and more companies are committing to net zero, and as they commit to net zero, they're forcing their supply chain to commit to net zero, and there's this really nice, virtuous feedback loop happening. So that's growing the customer base for this. And as Archie mentioned earlier on, actually, a lot of these solutions we're seeing in the climate tech space are still really early stage. Companies right now, they're working on how do we decarbonize about 4.2% per year in the short term. And the solutions to get them there are probably not for companies still raising seed and Series A funding. But what they need to be looking at is how do they refill the hopper of solutions? So in five years time, and in 10 years time, they still have new solutions that can help them get to the next level down of decarbonization. And I do want to point out the, the point Archie brought up earlier about wider ESG considerations. There's been a lot of discussion about this in the media recently. For me, I don't think you can separate the E and the S and the G. They do all link together. You can't have environmental justice and climate justice without social justice alongside that. And I'm seeing increasingly climate tech startups working on this, talking about co-benefits with biodiversity and nature, which is really timely as um, the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures have really just released the beta version of their guidance. TCFD, TNFD, I was also hearing about TIFD recently, um, and intersectional environmentalism, a huge, huge movement gaining strength in, in particularly in North America right now. Um, Archie, next few years, what, what would you see? Yeah, I think um, given the current macro environment, I think it'd be remiss of me to, to to not just mention that, you know, that as I've called out earlier, I think this sector is not going to be immune to some some broader macro challenges or, or headwinds that the, the venture world, the sort of startup funding world is facing into right now. And it'll be really interesting to see how that evolves. And frankly, no one's got a clue how that evolves over the next six, 12 months or even over a longer period. I mean, clearly, you know, a, a period of, of heightened inflation, heightened interest rates um, would suggest perhaps a removal or, or reduction in the amount of capital to higher risk areas such as venture. And, and, you know, so I think we've got to bear that in mind. That all said, um, right now, this is one of the areas that is still attracting investment. Um, VCs haven't shut up shop completely. There are still, there are still um, investments happening and as, yeah, and particularly into this sector as a whole. So, you know, it's, it's certainly not all doom and gloom, but I think we've just got to bear in mind, like what, you know, what, what's going to potentially happen from a, at a sort of macro level over the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that all being said, I, I, I can just see that the sort of continued focus, continued investments, continued capital flows into 
um, the most interesting, impactful uh, technologies, some of which are really obvious today and we're being talked about. And I suspect there are technologies out there that will be funded over the next two, three, four years in topics and themes that like, none of us are aware of at the moment. And, and you know, maybe still coming out of university being research, really early stage research, et cetera, et cetera. So hence a really, really interesting, rapidly evolving, fascinating space. I think, you know, the other thing I'd take away from this conversation or any other conversations, and I sort of try and persuade anyone that is prepared to listen is we should be optimistic. I think, you know, we live in a world at the moment where there is a huge amount of negativity um, when it comes to the climate challenge, and, and rightly so. Um, we all need to be more aware of uh, how great the situation is and, um, frankly, what we can all do to help mitigate it. But every day I get to meet, and I'm very fortunate to meet, some brilliant entrepreneurs who, and many of whom are sort of dedicating their lives to trying to solve some of these biggest challenges. And there is some really, really fascinating powerful, potentially incredibly impactful, very early stage stuff out there at the moment that I really do believe can and will make a big difference. And it's too early to sort of say that with any degree of certainty at the moment. But I think, you know, amongst all the, the doomsday and the, the sort of the, the negativity, which is totally understandable, but but I think, you know, we have to try and we have to try and find some grounds for optimism. And, and I find that in, in the fact that a lot, a lot of these corporates now are prioritizing this. That's going to drive adoption of a lot of this technology. And at the same time, you've got so many entrepreneurs and so many investors that are looking to, to develop these technologies. So, yeah, try and stay, um, or hopefully a few grounds for optimism anyway. So it sounds like there's, um, if there's one thing that you like people to take away from this, actually, that would be stay optimistic. Yeah, I think so. Or, or at least try to find the right balance between, um, you know, the understandable negativity and the, the greatness of the situation we're in. But there are solutions that are being developed and some of them are super, super small at the moment. But if you go looking for them, I think you can find some, some really interesting, quite exciting stuff out there that, that will be developed and will have a big impact over the next few years. Um, Tarek, if, you, if there's one thing you'd like viewers to take away from this, what, what would it be for you? Um, hopefully everyone watching this is already thinking about net zero, but if they're not, you should be. Um, the climate challenge is not going away, and the more we delay action, the faster we'll need to move down the line. But I want the one thing that people take away from this is that innovation is going to be a critical enabler of this. It's also going to be a thing that I think turns this from a climate challenge into a climate opportunity. If you can think about low carbon products and services, if you can think about how you can be lower carbon than your competitors, if you think about what your consumer wants, in a net zero economy, there's not just a climate challenge here, there's an opportunity to increase market share, increase revenue, reduce costs. Brilliant. Thank you. I've, I've really loved this conversation. Thank you so much, guys. You both work in such an inspiring space. I think that notion of from challenge to opportunity and that uh, the sense of optimism that you're you're talking about, it, it sort of reminds me of my favourite podcast, which I'm sure you're aware of, um, Outrage and Optimism. And um, so that that balance that we need in order to move things forward, right? And and the coverage that we've had here has been really encyclopedic. So the role of early stage tech and investment in in achieving corporate ESG strategy goals, um, understanding the work that you've both been doing, um, Tarek, the the state of climate tech report, which obviously has that sort of global multi sector scope, which is um, gives you that. Um, multi-dimensional view of what's going on at the moment. The key investment trends, um, Archie, what you're looking for in early stage investment and, and some great examples on an endless list of examples that you're working with are very envious uh, and a real clear sense of where the startup market is headed over the next few years. So 
Really appreciate your time today. Uh, thank you. Hopefully um, the viewers really loved the content that you shared today and um, looking forward to speaking again soon. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Thank you. You've been listening to Sustainable Futures, a podcast from Kantar. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.